0: I'm Dorianne Wheel. Welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. Welcome, this is Dorianne Wheel and you with Thrive with Dr. D. This is the show where we talk about the challenges in your life and how to overcome them to the point that you are thriving and living your best life, not just surviving. But in fact, with this particular topic, we also have to talk about survival, the step that comes way before the thrival, because very often, People who are in the situation that I'm going to be discussing with my guest Sue Hickey are really often literally worried about their physical survival. They're dealing with emotional abuse. They might be dealing with physical abuse. They're certainly dealing with social implications and psychological abuse. And often their challenge is how am I going to get through this next short period of time even The next day. So, Sue Hickey is a long term colleague of mine. She is a clinical social worker, a renowned speaker and author. And when I unpack this topic of women abuse, I always think of Sue absolutely as the go to person. She has worked with hundreds, probably thousands of women over the years who have been caught up in this situation. She has helped them navigate the journey, and survive, and not only survive, in many cases live a far better life and thrive than they ever believed was possible when they were caught in these kind of very, very difficult, tight, abusive relationships. So we want to talk about what does the perpetrators look like Are there any particular patterns? Is it always to do with some unresolved issue of childhood? Can it be anyone? What are the red flags to look out for when you're in a situation like that? How do you extricate yourself? What about people who just turn around and say, oh, for goodness sake, you know, you got yourself in it, get yourself out of it. Why don't you just leave? Which is the common sort of refrain. Without the kind of depth of understanding of what that means, we want to talk about people who get themselves or who are in these sort of situations of often, of course, or almost always inadvertently. In the beginning, what happens to their self-esteem along the way? Why do they take so long to step out of it? How come? When they know that intellectually it's not really their fault, there's still this kind of feeling of shame and of having to deal with not being strong enough or being good enough or being pretty enough or being whatever it is enough. And so they have to deal with the perception of society and their friends and family as well as what's going on at home. There are lots and lots of questions surrounding this. And unfortunately... There are so many people who are caught up in it. It is not an unusual thing. It happens more often than we know. So we need people like Sue to help us understand it and to help us, hopefully, to begin to understand it enough to kind of rescue ourselves, sometimes within the relationship, being in the relationship differently, or maybe being out of the relationship. So Sue, welcome to you. Thank you, Tori. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you very, very much. So, Sue, let's talk about the prevalence of this first. It is something that is endemic still, isn't it?
1: I think it is, Tori. I think that what's happening is that people used to see an abusive relationship as a violent relationship. What's happening more and more is people are understanding that an abusive relationship can be emotionally and psychologically abusive without necessarily being violent. So more and more women are identifying themselves as being in abusive relationships even when often they're not raped or beaten or thrown out into the street.
0: So are they able to identify themselves as in an abusive relationship more easily whereas before you had to have the bruises to show it? Yes, you do. Otherwise they would doubt it and perhaps defend it and say this is how things are.
1: That's right. And in fact, it's not such an easy thing to make a distinction between what is an unhealthy and unsatisfying relationship and what is an abusive relationship. So interestingly enough, I sometimes have situations where women come to me and they say, I'm in an abusive relationship. In actual fact, when you discuss the relationship, it's not abusive. It's unsatisfying. So we have to be very careful as to, what abusive actually means because we can't we don't want to discredit the idea of being in an abusive relationship by calling everything Mm. that is unhappy abusive Mm. not every unhappy relationship can be called Mm. abusive it's a really important
0: point and i'm pleased that we're kicking off with this because a lot of times people are saying the same thing about the me too movement you know, that in fact, if somebody looks at you in a particular way or that is uncomfortable or whatever it is, right. you, know, you can talk about being abused or having or violated, violated in some way, in some way mm. or another. One but doesn't
1: in, want to be too loose with those no, terms. No, because
0: it, it diminishes. It really Absolutely. diminishes people who are in abusive relationships. It does. So could we then talk about, you can't label every unhappy relationship or even some unhappy relationships, which are, of course, quite common, and there are ways of intervention and identifying what the cause of that kind of dissatisfaction and unhappiness is. But besides that, what would you say the criteria and characteristics are Of a real abusive relationship.
1: Okay. So obviously if a relationship is violent, we assume it's abusive. There is no debating around that. A violent relationship is an abusive one. When it comes to an emotionally abusive relationship, it's a question of power. And it follows a pattern. So the abuser will diminish on an ongoing basis their partner to the point that they are disempowered. And that diminishment is first of all what we call relentless name calling. So there is constantly being labeled something negative to the point that it diminishes your self-esteem. Once again I must say we all have a bad day and we say ugly things to one another. That is not a pattern of relentless diminishment. So again I don't want people to jump up and down and say I he had called me a last cow. Night. That's right, he yeah. called me a cow, he's mm. an abuser or whatever mm. other. So one has to be it's got to be a pattern and it needs to be fairly relentless. So there is the diminishment of one's self esteem from name calling, from taking Damaging somebody's relationships in the world, their friendships and their colleagues, colleague relationships and their family. Now, our friends, our colleagues, and our family empower us. They give us confidence. They're on our side. They support us. They're
0: they have your powerful, back. absolutely,
1: mm. they're powerful supports. Mm. The abuser will not tolerate those relationships. So, once again, I have to say, if he doesn't like your mother, he's not an abuser. Mm. If he doesn't tolerate your family, your friends, or your colleagues, and they have interesting ways of not tolerating these people. So, for example, I know a lot of abusers, funnily enough, flirt with their friends in order to stop their partner from wanting to see those friends. Hmm. So they damage those relationships in interesting ways.
0: They make the friends feel a bit uncomfortable.
1: Well, they make the... their partner feel threatened by the friends. Mm-hmm. So they do interesting yes, things for... that damage their relationships with other people. To
0: kind of engender some sort of doubt.
1: Suspicion and feeling of... very
0: insidious, isn't it? Very.
1: And a lack of self-worth. Or what they do is that they say, your friends make me think less of you Mm. because they're not decent caliber people. So they elevate their partners, but only at the expense of the friends. So were you to continue these friendships, I would have to assume that you're an unsavory human being. So they diminish consistently all of those relationships.
0: It's so manipulative.
1: Te- well, that's what exactly what it
0: highly is. Highly manipulative. Now, I need to ask you, is this consciously, deliberately? Because some of it's overt, but a lot of it is sort of covert, huge, I insidious. don't believe it's conscious. You don't believe it's conscious?
1: No. You know, Philippa and I, because we co-authored that book, have debated this many times.
0: This is Sue's book that she co-authored with Philippa Sclair. When loving him
1: hurts. When loving him hurts. Okay. So we've debated quite a lot. And, of course, I have clients, not only who are abused, but some of my clients are the abusers. Mm. Now, they mm. they obviously don't come in saying, I am abusing my partner. You know, they come in and their issues are very different. But I can see from what they do that their behavior is abusive. So why do they come to
0: you?
1: Because they're struggling in these relationships.
0: So do they have a conscience about what they're doing and oh, a degree yes. of awareness?
1: Oh yes, and they think that they are re- reacting to things. They don't understand that what they're reacting to is inappropriate. Can we just go, okay, back, we go to, back to go that. back to sure. the profile of the abusive relationship right. because it's important that we we have that clearly. Right. So there is lots of name calling. There is a refusal to confront any issue in the relationship. Because to not resolve conflict is actually is how you disempower the other person. Most abusers will accuse their partners of having lied, having made it up. They don't remember it that way and that's not what happened. Mm. Or you're a crazy cow. So they won't resolve anything in the relationship. There's lots of financial manipulation. So they either gain control via money or they control women who have money by taking their money. Demanding that they spend excessive amounts of money on their cars, their presents, their travel arrangements. So they abuse financially and they abuse sexually. An abusive relationship is often sexually abusive Mm. as well. In that they demand participation in things that their partners are not comfortable Mm. with. They demand amounts of sex and the times that they want to have sex. It's inappropriate or they withhold sex. So the abuse is financial, social, your self-esteem and sexual. Mm, sure. So and it and it needs to cover all of those areas to qualify as being abusive.
0: Okay. So you say that sometimes in fact you you said you don't believe you hesitated for a moment. And then you said, you know, I don't believe that it's conscious. That's right. So, what are the dynamics that precipitate this kind of behavior? We're talking about the perpetrator.
1: Okay. I think there are three types of perpetrators. I don't think we're looking at one homogenous group. I think that the one type of perpetrator has role modeled this abusive style of relationship from his father. So they see that as appropriate for how powerful a man should be in his own family. So they simply are role modeling an abusive father. The second type actually have been massively disappointed, neglected, and abandoned by their mothers. Mm-hmm. So they, they see all women as inadequate with the potential to abandon them and the potential to disappoint hmm. and so their abuse is an effort to control her to the point that she can't do any of the above and the third type
0: you will not hurt me that's that's the source yeah of i thing.
1: believe that you will not be reliable therefore i will check up on you i will accuse you of things you haven't done i will not allow you to have any money so that you can't have a facial so that you can't be attractive to other men because you're all lying disappointing hmm. Disgusting humans is at a subconscious level. That's what they believe. Right. All women are essentially untrustworthy, disgusting. And they once let you de- down. They let you down. They disappoint.
0: Mm.
1: And so the effort is to control this perceived, anticipated disappointment that they see coming. Mm. Those are the kinds who usually come to me as clients. The ones who role model the abuse often don't come. Mm. The ones who experience abandonment and loss and are the ones who come
0: so as clients. Have, and then there's
1: a third type, okay. if I can just get to the yes, third type yes. and let's just cover that. So the third type are, are men who as children, as adolescents, had their needs met excessively by their mothers. They're what we call enmeshed mothers. Mm-hmm. So they never gave their boys distance from them as the teenagers. And they led them to believe that any woman who does not meet your needs, almost on point or as you experience them, loves you less than I love you and is therefore inadequate. Mm. So those are your three types. Mm. Who, so your abuser so are not So how would that tumultuous. just lead
0: to um, if they believe that no one will meet their needs? Or well, they, they believe
1: kind of their needs should be met instantly.
0: So why does that lead
1: to abuse? Because If she suggests that she has a need, he doesn't think he should meet it. I see. So he's come from a mother who says, it's all about you, my darling. You are so precious. You are so amazing. You're the prince. You're the prince. That's Mm. exactly right. So when somebody else comes and says, hang on a second, it doesn't feel like that for me. There's some kind of shock and horror that says, who the hell are you in this equation? Mm. You don't Mm. count, I count. Mm. My mother's led me to believe that I count. I'm first, second, third, and then the rest. Mm. So (laughs) they have no sense that the other person's needs are valuable or significant. Mm. And they were a little outraged that anyone should 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 suggest suggest, that there are two people in this relationship, not only one. It's not about me. And your function here is not purely to make me happy. So
0: clearly, the second group that you spoke about are the ones who might get Seek some counseling. sort of insight that's because right. they're unhappy with yes, themselves. they are. And, and, and they're and anxious, anxious in their relationships. Okay, so that's, yes. that makes that understandable. Yes. The way that the abuse is manifest um, with all of these three groups would be much the same, yes. irrespective of that. Yes. Of that precipitating issue or the yes. dynamics. So then let's move to, um, are you saying that there's kind of a thread of similarity of power and of insecurity that yes. goes through all three of that? Yes. If you had to say what are the real threads, they're different groups with Well, the first one needs. is
1: entitlement. And the third one And with that comes also. power. Yeah. Yes. And the third one as well.
0: Mm, also entitlement. Yeah. Okay. And need for control and power.
1: Yeah. That's how you deal with anxiety. Sure. Yeah.
0: By manifesting it in this way.
1: In this power-hungry craziness.
0: And to reassure I'm in control and that I am the priority. Yes. Around here. Okay. So then let's talk about whether you believe that it's almost like kind of Two pieces of a jigsaw puzzle that sort of have to, there's a fit in terms of time and space so that what they are looking for in order to manifest this in a way in their relationship, there needs to be something on the other side which is receptive in some kind of perhaps also unconscious way, which yes. you're not realising in the beginning. That's right. Until it grows. That's right. So it wouldn't be any person, because I mean, what we do here is don't say that it can't happen to you. Of course, it can happen to you. It can happen any time to you. Is that true? That it can happen to almost any woman, or do you have to be in that? receptive psychological space.
1: Yes, you do. Because what will happen... You know, if I go back to my abuse groups, one of the things we used to do in those groups is say, let's go back to the very first incident when you realized that there was an alarm bell or a red flag. With not one single exception, those red flag incidents happened prior to their marriage. They all remember the moment where they knew that this was not a usual argument. This was not a usual problem that, you know, we can all have rows. We have Mm. a bad day. How do you Mm. know that it's any different? They all knew that and they all got married knowing that. So you go back and you say, right. So now I meet, say, for example, Joe Blocks, and we have that incident, that moment where things are out of control, where that his His response to something has been entirely inappropriate, has refused to fix it. There's there's been a red flag incident. If I have a healthy self-esteem, I raise it as a red flag and I say something's actually gone very badly here. And I refuse to ignore it. So it either needs to get fixed, which it won't. Or the relationship breaks up. Mm. So when the relationship keeps going, you have to say, why is this person ignoring every red flag incident? Because they're many. And every one of them in a group will tell you what happened prior to them being married where they knew something was wrong. Mm. But they couldn't own that knowledge. They couldn't bring themselves to actually break up with him. So then one says, okay, so what is going on here? Why do some people stay? Because it speaks to their pathology, which we then call codependence. Mm -hmm. The need to be needed. The need to prove that your love is better than anyone else's love. So that's where that jigsaw puzzle kind of idea you have is fantastic. Do
0: you believe that with enough love, in other words, if I'm good enough, if I'm loving enough, if I'm sexual enough, if I will.
1: You can satisfy him.
0: I can satisfy him and make sure that Absolutely these things don't not. happen
1: again Absolutely and again. not. But do, is mm. that what they That's believe? That's what they believe. That's what I'm asking. That's is. what they, they believe? believe. that? That's exactly what they believe. And that elevates them That they will love then. you better. Yes, it does. And it and makes I them more loving than us regular people who don't show that measure of commitment. Oh. There's a terrible sense of superiority in that. So there's an inferiority in that you've allowed yourself to accept this outrageous behavior and a superiority that says, and that's the link as well, I can sort this out. Mm. I can prove that my love is sufficiently enduring, creative, sexual, whatever. I will prove my love superior to all those previous girlfriends you had who didn't. Who didn't stay. Who didn't stay. Now, the only who didn't pro- pro- the, prove themselves to you. Of course, the problem you. with
0: that is that you've got to go through in trying to prove it, which of course you never do. But you go never. through a, a hell of a journey. Terrible. In going through it. And, and dangerous of course, yes, sometimes. And dangerous. So they keep on. Now, is there a certain, uh, the one thing is why they stay is because I will be the one to overcome this. I will endure it. I will kind of love you out of it.
1: That's right. I'll heal you through love.
0: I'll heal you through love and I can sustain it. That's the one thing. But what about, I mean, we always say, I was talking to. Dr. John De Martini recently and what he was talks a lot about is the kind of yin and the yang that anyone who thinks who who sort of thinks that everyone is all good or all kind or all giving or whatever is certainly not seeing the full person and vice versa if they all means it's the characteristics that in most of us live side by side but that the the positive are priorities and good enough to deal with some of the difficulties. So it could be that you don't like certain habits or you don't enjoy the same every single activity, but it's not important. The important is the connection and the positive part of it. So why I'm asking this is that in these relationships, is there not also a positive part? And love that you just keep seeing from time to time and hoping comes back with a
1: vengeance in the long term they talk about almost being like gamblers that you um i'm sure they don't one doesn't pull slot machines anymore i think you put cards in them Mm. but there's, you know they describe this thing of at some point the bells ring and the money tumbles and there is great love and passion and and admiration from him
0: have they experienced yes
1: and every so often like a gambler they hit a jackpot where he's amazing. And when they're amazing, they they will tell you how much better you are than everyone they ever had, how they knew you were the one, how they, God, well, they just love that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's honestly mm-hmm. like being a gambler. You just will mm-hmm. keep going back mm-hmm. because every so often you win The jackpot with Mm. them,
0: and winning the jackpot isn't only what they tell you and how you feel about yourself. It's some of the other side of what you see about them, like their charm, yes, and generosity, yes, and love, Mm. and and maybe even some gentleness that emerges every now and then. Mm. Sure, and then you kind of latch onto that and hope, and you
1: hope that you can work out what you did to cause it so that you can do it again sure they try to work out what worked so that they can create those more often Sure. so this is like the real
0: question then sort of getting to this how many times do you have to go through the abusive experience sometimes even physical but certainly psychological over and over again To kind of begin to realize that this
1: is not going anywhere. Don't know. You know, it's what we call a personal rock bottom in a sense. What is the incident? But, like substance abuse, there Mm. is a, or alcoholism, there is what, what AA calls a personal rock bottom, where this incident just is too far. And it's that one. Yeah. It's that one. It's that one. It mm. doesn't know one doesn't know when it is or how long it will take. I, I saw a lady last night and she her sentence was, I now understand that he can't ever be different. So they left a year ago, they were good, they be- she believed that it was better. I could see that it hadn't shifted. Mm. And she came last night and she said, I finally understand that he can't be different.
0: Mm. Now, is know, it almost always that they that can't be different? I need to yes. just ask you that.
1: If you can believe that we can resolve this, you have reason to continue.
0: But you do believe it for part of the journey. That's yes, what you do. So that's what
1: I'm saying. There comes an incident when you finally realize. The incident, it was, it was ironic because I reminded her of this last night. The incident was the very same incident that brought her in 18 months ago. They're identical. She'd forgotten it.
0: Was it physical? No. It was emotional?
1: No, it was emotional.
0: Name-calling, critical, denigrating, dismissive, all of that?
1: Well, what what he does is she does something he doesn't like, and then he'll take, he'll leave, he'll go off, he'll abandon the family. He just disappears for two days. She's, of course, frantic. And there's no attempt to resolve it whatsoever. So there is an argument around which, yeah, he's, and then he just leaves.
0: And then when he comes back, does he act as if nothing has happened or can they unpack what happened?
1: Oh, no, she's so grateful to see him. Oh, my goodness. She's so relieved that he's back. She's so grateful that he's walked into the house again, that she can't fall over herself fast enough to make it good for him.
0: So we're talking about real like I know that there's something that you talk about a lot called the cycle of abuse where your self-esteem that might have been at a level in the beginning to kind of be in denial and not see these things certainly gets eroded more and more and more over time. So that, I mean, that's a really powerful example that you've said. Instead of where the hell have you been, Mm And how can you do this to us? Is thank goodness you're home, and thank I'm goodness so you're grateful. Yeah,
1: yeah. And she actually said to me, "Should I be angry about that?"
0: She has to ask. Just to ask me
1: if I think that that is reason enough to be angry.
0: So where does your kind of measure of what is acceptable and unacceptable of so normality again, talk happen? About do I healthy... see people around them? have relationships that are so diametrically different to the one that they have. Remember, well, maybe you have not. your
1: basic caregiver, your family of origin, and that's your biggest measure. Measure.
0: It's your benchmark. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's your
1: benchmark yeah. of what is normal.
0: Would you say that most of the time, the people who do get caught up in this are victims, have got... We spoke about the history of the perpetrator. What about the dynamics of the, we have spoken a bit about it, but do they also have that kind of history where you can identify certain things which may
1: put you more at risk? Yeah, I said to my client, I said, are you ever angry with him for what he does? And she said, I think I'm like my mother, I think I'm sick, I'm so anxious when he's not there. Sure. That I feel safe when he walks through the door. It doesn't matter what he does. I'm very seldom at a loss
0: for words. So <laughs> it's I'm just very painful. trying to process this. It's very painful. You know, that, that fear, that insecurity of that being alone in the world, of being absolutely, alone is predominant. Yes, predominant and it allows one to, to accept to tolerate all
1: kinds of behavior. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as Phil will say to you, What is a red flag to other people didn't register that way with her. Mm -hmm. There was a kind of a discomfort, but not a mass red flag. Mm -hmm. Whereas Mm -hmm. to somebody who's had a healthy relationship upbringing, that's a massive red flag. Mm -hmm. That's a, what the hell?
0: So is it always to do with an upbringing or if almost every time? Yeah, I think it is. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think it is. Mm -hmm. So
0: you are processing certain beliefs and experiences that you have witnessed and seen yes. and obviously bringing them into this relationship in order to make sense mm. of behavior that would otherwise be seen as completely unacceptable. Mm. So the question is, you know, how long does this go? And you said it goes on till it goes on. That's right. Until the time is that you right. actually had enough. I don't
1: know when the gears shift. Where people go, okay, that's enough. But in no the more.
0: meantime, what happens is hopefully, in fact, many of In the meantime, we're bringing up
1: children in an environment that sets them up to be either abused or abusive. Abusive. So we're starting a terrible cycle all over again. A cycle starts.
0: Now, some of these people, because I know that you've alluded, uh, I've read about your support groups that you run and the people that came, and I think it was actually precipitated by a radio show. That's right. I mean, we've done many over the time. I'm not even going to ask you if it was one that you did with me. It was a radio show where we've unpacked these kind of things that precipitated a flood A flood of calls and letters. It wasn't.
1: It was a very, very long time ago. In fact, it was my very first group that I ever ever ran. And we were really, I was really floundering. So I had a, a group of women who had come forward and they were saying, we worked on the book. I'll tell you what it was. Woman Who Loved Too Much. Mm. So we were, working off that's right. yeah. we were working off mm. that book. Mm. So we were really, I don't even think we called it abusive at that stage. Mm. We were just fumbling around trying to work it out. And then somebody phoned and said, I see that there's an advertisement in the local paper. Do you think we could speak about it on radio? I took it to the group and I said, are you women interested in going on really? radio?
0: And it was they, Anne, Pretty I much, remember. that's right. Yeah, it it wasn't her
1: real yeah, name. But she yeah. went, we went on, and by mistake, they gave out my telephone number. You have never known a flood of responses like mm-hmm. that, ever, of mm-hmm. women who were listening.
0: Well, you see what was happening then, and I hope that there isn't the same need now, although somehow I think there is, to say that I'm in an abusive relationship and to seek help for it. You know, people with the sense of shame and disempowerment that you've been talking about and not good enough. And, you know, whatever was coming into it was so pervasive that once it was on the radio and in the media and being spoken about and written about, you could say, look, this is me Mm. and I need some help. So what I was asking you is that even through the cycle, through groups like yours and people kind of recognizing better the situation that they're in, they can seek help and still be in the relationship. And there were many who stayed, certainly initially, and and on an ongoing basis, stayed but still came to understand it more. Yes. In fact, most of them
1: stayed in the first few groups. You know, we were a little more reluctant in those days around divorce. So in my initial group, I think only one woman got divorced and she had no children. But you
0: do help them, and this is the part that I want to just unpack a little bit with you. How, before you make that decision to go, which involves many things. And I don't want to undermine the security too. You know, financial security mm. is a big issue. It so is. So you, you help these women how to handle the situation better mm. by how. What is the process of strengthening them while they are still in the relationship?
1: Okay, first of all, You need to understand what the relationship is. As I say, the first thing that I do is I always make a distinction between an unhappy relationship and an abusive one. If we ascertain that the relationship is in fact abusive, one has to go, okay, you don't have to leave. You know, that's what women are afraid of being told, that now that you've got the relationship is abusive, you have to leave. They almost it's often reluctant. their obstacle to come that's forward. That's right. Yeah. They don't want to come forward yeah. because they think that that's going to be demanded of them, and they're not and ready. And that
0: they're weak if they don't.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That there is some criticism yes. of their refusal to haughtily saunter out of that relationship, which, of course, they know when you're ready to do. So I say you can stay or you can go. You can't stay the same. same. Mm. That's always my saying to, to them. You've stay differently. You can stay differently. Yeah. So then you take things like, for example, the name calling. So what do you do when someone is bellowing these names at you? Most of us absorb some of those words into, and our self-esteem diminishes just a little bit more and a little bit more. With an abusive man you don't in those moments the smart thing to do is to just keep quiet. But inside the keeping quiet you can have conversations in your head that don't need to come out of your mouth. Mm. I always tell people don't keep quiet in your head. Mm. You might keep quiet in the space, but you don't ever have to keep quiet in your head. You have to answer it's your back. Space. Mm-hmm. You have to defend yourself. So you what have
0: would to... be that powerful Personal conversation, that powerful monologue. What do it's you not say true. to yourself?
1: Sometimes, sometimes it's just a question of not listening and watching the face. You know, you teach people to watch facial contortions. They're actually quite interesting. If you try and phase out what someone's saying and watch their mouth, their angry mouth and their angry eyebrow and their, there are lots of interesting ways of confronting someone who's angry. It's never smart to shout back. Never with them. Because In of the threat some, of violence. No, you can't. Violence. That escalates. You don't escalate an abuser. Ever.
0: So it's very difficult. It must be. Yeah, just it's very difficult. To, Okay, you can help people say things like, this is him. It's not me. Yeah. In fact, he's not even really talking about me. It's That's just right. his. It's That's just right. him. This is our public. Really this this is. is not
1: me being inadequate, pathetic, ugly, fat, can't cook. Make a mess. Yeah, don't have no respect for he's, you.
0: He's he's actually reinforcing aspects of himself yes. Yes. when he's talking to yes. you. So you can begin to try and That's teach right. people to not be hooked. Yeah, and not be hooked, and therefore to kind of be self protective yes. of your own self esteem. Yes, you know, um, in having that, the thing is that there must be quite a fine line because you know, in almost everything, in the I know that you speak as well, and we both address women's groups, I think, in the same way as feeling entitled. You know, for me, the first step with a lot of women is a lack of sense of personal entitlement. We're so reared still to be nurturers and caregivers, which is the most wonderful role. No one wants to give up on that. But very often it means that you put yourself last. And in fact, you start building up resentment if you're disempowered against the very people who you're trying to be nice to sometimes. So what I want to ask you with this is that we push that message of take care of yourself, feel entitled, an egalitarian relationship. It's not submissive or aggressive. You're looking for win-win. How do you identify your needs and then communicate them all of these messages which are threads that go through what we're trying to do in terms of the sisters and our own importance and then you're in a situation like this where we say if you do stand up and you insist that you are just as important and that you will not you will decide how you will and will not be treated You will maintain your own dignity. And in a situation like this, when they attempt to do it, they get beaten up. Yeah. And so the advice is don't.
1: Don't. So is that not a mixed message? No. What we're saying is that this is not a marriage made in heaven, and it's not going to turn into that ever. Mm. So if you have reasons to stay, you need to know what they are. And you need to be clear that in the balance— this is right for you, even though it's now. And say to a woman, you don't have to stay forever. You can leave in a Anything. few years, mm. but in the meantime, you have to survive. Mm. So to go in and say, you can reasonably expect him to respect your needs, you're not happening. Mm. It's not going to happen. Mm. You need mm. not to be diminished to the point that you are nothing in case you are ready to leave. Sometimes they do calm down with age, believe it or not. I've now been around long enough to see that happen. Mm. It's not a fabulous way to spend your life. I'm waiting for you to be too old to rage. It doesn't sound fabulous. But the bottom line is that there's no expectation of healthy conflict management. That's not the expectation. The understanding is that you are entitled to that. In this relationship, given his problems, you're unlikely to get that. And if you do, you'll get it in a more limited way than other women are. You're staying, usually because of the children and usually because they don't feel ready. Readiness takes years to be ready to be in this world. How do I know?
0: How do you know? Not how do you know. How does one know when they're ready?
1: I know because they start to entertain that in the conversation. They start to say, "I can see myself being without him down the line." Mm. If you can start to imagine that for your future, you can start to go for it, and it comes up spontaneously in how I imagine my future. It leaks into the conversation, and it's suddenly there. Mm. And I think, "Oh, yay! We're arriving. We're arriving at a future with a difference." That's right. It's, if something is in your imagination, you can go for it. Mm. If it's not in your imagination, it's not going to happen. Mm. And someone can't give that to you in your imagination. Mm. You have to own it.
0: Mm. So you partner people with support and gentleness Yes. through this. Mm. Without any you should, you must, you have to, you've got to, why don't you? Yeah. So they feel like they have a real support who's mm, there to understand them. They have permission to stay. They have permission to stay, which they, they need don't get that. from they almost get it else. else.
1: You yeah. have permission to stay forever, for as long as you want to, until you're ready. No sure. judgment.
0: And that, in fact, helps them become more ready. Of course, it does. You see, because the the trick of that is that they're not fighting you. Mm. The trick of that is that do joined feel misunderstood. with them in partnership and mm. they feel understood. Mm. Therefore, they don't have to feel so defensive mm. and they can let that down mm. and do the journey. With and they
1: can carry on believing in him. Go do it. And you can come back anytime. The doors open mm. if things get difficult. And if they go well, I'm delighted for you.
0: It's really fascinating and very important and very, in a sense, kind of counterintuitive. Because what people want to do and want to say often really isn't the Mm. best thing. In fact, it can be detrimental to Mm. people. So thank you very much. And if you could just say, look, if I'm talking to a group of women who in, because of the criteria that we've identified, definite abusive relationships... Could you think, I mean, it is quite complex and a challenging question, what would you want to say to them?
1: You know, my very first, my instinct response is that just relax because this is going to be okay. It's really the hope that I can give to everyone. We can make this okay. Mm. No rush, no urgency, no deadline. Calm down, let's breathe, let's take this mess apart. Let's have a look at Let's it. Let's have a look at it. Yeah.
0: Okay. And then you are with Thrive with Dr. D. This is what we call this show. And we're talking a bit about the journey in some way from survival. Do we get to Thrival?
1: Yes. Yes, we do. That's good news. Dory, I'm not a believer that abusive relationships become happy relationships. I wish I could say that I was. I'm not. That abused
0: people put together. Yes, it that's right. People.
1: That's right. Thank you. Yeah. That puts it beautifully. Okay. I don't have um, happy news around abusive relationships. Mm. I don't think they become marriages made in heaven. Mm.
0: Okay, but you can sort of take control of yourself that's right. with the relationship. That's right. And we get can.
1: massively gratified in other areas of our mm. life. You know, we need to start making real commitments to our interests ourselves our activities our children our careers our, not everything is about the
0: relationship yeah
1: mm-hmm. sure
0: well i think that you've given us a lot of a lot to think about a lot of food and much more than that i think that you have given us the gift of compassion and understanding in an issue that in a situation that is very difficult to understand to think of it much more broadly without judgment and criticism. And you've also given us a tremendous gift of hope. So for that, I thank you very, very much, Sue. You're very welcome. Thank you once again for the invitation. I'm Dorianne Wheel. Thanks for listening to Thrive with Dr. D, a Jackpot podcast.